Welcome to the Bible Teachers, featuring sermons from around Australia. And here is today's presenter, Pastor William Moala. Worship, such a big topic in the world and particularly in our church. You know, worship for the most part, if you've been in our church any number of years, you'll realize it's, a, it's an Adventist hot potato I shared last night. It's something that can stir up the best and the worst of our emotions because we're so, we're so, I guess, because we're emotional creatures and emotional beings, this idea of worship takes on different meanings for us, different contexts, different cultures, different ideas, different methods of how we are to worship. But I'm not really trying to go there today. I'm really wanting to get in the heart of worship, who it is that we're worshiping. And so this morning, as we talk about the way of worship, I'm hoping that today that you'd walk away with a sense that worship is far greater than anything that we could understand. Because at the end of the day, worship is about a personal connection with Jesus, is it not? It's about a personal encounter with Jesus. You read the book of Revelation and there's this throne scene where these living creatures bowing down before the throne and before the Lamb. And all they say is, does anyone know? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. It seems as if their primary objective in heaven is to bow down and worship the Lamb. Worship is a central theme in the Scriptures. Worship is a central theme in the Bible, and it's what we're going to be doing in heaven for eternity. So it makes sense that we get in the habit and in the act and in the understanding of what true worship is. As I said last night to our young people, many of us have such a narrow view of worship. Worship is this way. It's not that way. But I'm hoping that we could see worship as something that is personal. It's something you do. It's something you live. It's something you breathe every day of your life. Worship can happen in your car when you're singing a song. Worship can happen in the shower. Worship can happen when you're ironing your shirt. Worship can happen at your job. Worship is not just something that happens between 11 and 12 on a Saturday morning. Amen? Worship is, it's what we've been wired to do. And so for these next few minutes, I want to talk about what it means to worship. And this morning, I'm going to look at this story in the Bible from the book of John and an invitation that Jesus invites us to. And I'm hoping that whatever you are, I know this is a youth rally. I know it's supposed to be targeted for young people, but you know, the Bible is for everyone, isn't it? Young and old, young at heart, whoever you are here today, you're a married couple, you're single, you're still in high school, you're in the sunset years of your life, you live down the road here in this Alstonville village, you're a church member, you're not even a Christian here today. Wherever you are on the spectrum, I'm hoping that you would see Jesus for yourself. And in that encounter, that it will do something in your heart where you be led. When you walk out of here today, you know what? I had an encounter with Jesus today. I made a decision today. You know, I'm sick and tired of living one foot in the world and one foot in the church. I want to be all about Jesus. That's my prayer for you today. And so this morning, I'm just going to jump right into it. Um, a story we find in the book of John. Jesus is at this festival. And there's a big religious festival, and he's been there for a few days. And right here on the last day of the festival, he pronounces an invitation to everyone that's listening. But this same invitation Jesus is inviting us to today. Let me jump right into it from the book of John. But the message is entitled, Fill Your Cup. Fill Your Cup. And I've got something in the back here I'd like to share with you as we close our message. So, 
The Bible tells us in the book of John, John chapter 7, verse 37. I might just read it from here. And we're reading from the New King, King James Version. If you've got your own Bible, your own electronic device, feel free to go ahead with that, but I'll just have this one up on the screen. John chapter 7, the Bible says, On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone does what? If anyone thirsts. Have you ever been thirsty before in your life? I remember when I was playing basketball at Kingsgrove High down in the southwest in Sydney, and we played basketball every day, like literally before school, recess, lunch, after school, on the weekends. I played basketball like four nights a week, under 16s one night, under 18s the next night, opens the next night, reps on Saturdays. I mean, basketball was my life. And I remember that when we used to play basketball at our, at our, um, at our high school every day, this was like a ritual for us. Now, I'm not saying that that you need to adopt this ritual because what I might share, you might think that's so unhealthy, William. But after our basketball scrimmages, about four of us, me and my best mates, we used to play basketball every day, two on two, every day. That was, that's how it was, straight after school. And after the game, we'd get to the shop, right at the corner shop, across the road from the school. And we used to buy a 750 mil Coke. I know, like, oh my goodness, you're not an Adventist. Well, I wasn't in a, you know, I wasn't into church or anything. And if you're still drinking that now, God bless you. 750 mil, you know, like a, like a, like a long neck, but not VB, but Coke. They, they had bottles in these days. And, and this was 750 mil, and we used to buy one each, and we used to sit on these, you know, the milk crates, we used to flip it upside down, all four of us, and we used to just sit down, open it up. It was like a beer for us, but it was actually a Coke, and we just, cheers, and we, and we used to drink it, and we always just go, mate, half of my bottle's gone in one skull, and then right after finish, we just go, and then we did this for so long that one of the boys goes, man, I just love that feeling. And so we, I kind of termed it the, this experience of feeling. Like we just said it like that. So every day after basketball, man, I can't wait to have basketball. We're going to have our feeling. I know some of you are like looking at me. Why did you use that illustration? Don't you know Coke is sinful, William? But here's the point. Every day. We would be playing, and you know, I'd be playing, crossing, you know, I used to love, I was a point guard actually back in the day. A lot of you who know basketball, you know, we all, you don't look like a point guard, but man, I had some handles back then, man. I used to cross people over, you know. My favorite kind of player was Timmy Hardaway, and he had this thing called the killer crossover where you put it through one leg, and the, and the defendant's going that way, and you, and you quickly come back. I mean, I used to love tripping people up like that. It was just something I just used to feed off, like, bang, bang, you know, and people just like lost. We call it breaking ankles now in the NBA. Like, you just see all these people losing their footing. That's that's what I live for. And you know, I used to get so thirsty that by the time we got to the shop, I knew that I was going to have a drink. Have you ever felt thirsty? Have you ever felt thirsty spiritually? Have you ever felt that there's something longing in your heart and you're thirsty for it? You're like, like that same desire that you need it, like your throat's dry. You're like, all you can think about is, I need a drink. Jesus uses that same illustration. But he points to the human heart, and he says in this festival, he stands up, unannounced, kind of just cuts through the tradition and the culture, and cuts through the formalities, and he just says in a loud voice, if anyone thirsts, let him come and drink. Let him come to me and drink. Isn't that amazing? Every one of us here today, that invitation is extended to us. Jesus says to us, come to me. Isn't that what it says in Matthew 11? 
Come unto me, all you that weary and are heavy laden, I'll give you what? I'll give you rest. Jesus is saying, come. It's the great invitation. Come. If you're thirsty, if you're going through things in your life, I want you to come to me. Don't come to your pastor. Yeah, come to, yeah, come to me if you want, but come to Jesus. He says, if anyone thirsts, let him come. What are you thirsting for in your life? What is it in your life that you sense there is a drought? It could be your marriage. It could be your job. It could be at school. It could be young people. It could be bullying at school. You're, you're finding yourself. You're not sure who you are. Your parents tell you you're supposed to be a Christian, but you don't really know if you believe this thing in the first place. Whatever it is, Jesus says, whoever thirsts, let him come to me and drink. What is he going on about here? Surely he can't just be talking about literal water. He must be talking about something deeper. Remember the story that Jesus, the conversation with a woman at the well. John chapter 4, Jesus said, this water I'm giving to you, if you're going to drink this water, you are never going to thirst again. Isn't that what Jesus said? That's what he said. What happens next in the story? Jesus goes on to say, he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, so now Jesus is making a, a connection. It's not just so much literal, physical water. Now he's turning attention to himself. He says, he who believes in me, if you trust me, if you believe in who I claim to be, if you understand my work, that I am the Messiah, I am the Son of God, I am the Word that became flesh, as John said. If you believe in me, Jesus promises something for you and I today. He says, out of his heart. Out of his what? Out of his what, everybody? Out of his heart will flow rivers of water. What a beautiful concept that Jesus says that if you were to drink of his salvation, his mercy, his grace, he says that out of your heart will flow rivers of water. What's this water that Jesus is talking about? What is this experience that Jesus is inviting us to take this drink of? Well, he explains it in the very next verse. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus was talking about the role, the person of the Holy Spirit. And just as Jesus stood up on that last day in the festival and invited the, the Israelites to partake of this living water, that out of it will flow living waters, gushing waters, flowing out from their heart, talking about the Spirit, He's inviting you and I today to partake of this same Holy Spirit. And so my question and basically my, my big challenge to everyone here this morning is have you drunk of that water today? Are you drinking from that water today? Do you have that experience where you realize that you're so filled with the Spirit that the, the water of life, Jesus, the Spirit, is actually flowing outside of you? You know, I understand that for us as Seventh-day Adventists, we understand that, that in the last days there's going to be false miracles, false prophets, false outpourings of the Holy Spirit. And we love to talk about that in our evangelistic series. But yes, we understand that there's something false that's going to come ahead. But my question is, what about the real deal? 
Where is the real Holy Spirit? Yes, we are so good to identify the counterfeits, but are we actually living the genuine? Are we living up to the genuine outpouring of the Holy Spirit? It's my conviction, guys, that we are a church, we are a youth, we are young people in need of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. What do you say, church? Do we need the Holy Spirit? Do you need the Holy Spirit in your life? I need the Holy Spirit. I know you need the Holy Spirit. That's why you're sitting here this morning. You're not here just to be at church. You're here because you realize that you have an empty cup and you need God to fill it. And everybody else around you doesn't know what you're experiencing, but God knows. And he sees through the facade. He sees through that hypocrisy. And he's saying to you today, let me fill your cup. Jesus says to us today, I'm willing to give you something. It's a precious gift. In fact, he spent most of his last night with his disciples talking about this gift, didn't he? He talked about how the role of the Spirit would be the paracletos, the comforter, this person who would come beside you and gently guide you into all truth. The role of the Holy Spirit, as we're told in John, is to convict us of what, everybody? Sin, righteousness, and of judgment. Jesus said the Holy Spirit is there to guide us into all truth. And yet when we read the writings of our inspired prophet, we are told, how come we don't pray about it enough? How come we don't talk about it enough? How come we don't preach about it enough? If this is the one thing that we need in order for us to be the people that God's called us to be, how come we are not asking for it, yearning for it, pleading for it? Jesus tells us in Luke eleven thirteen, if ye then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit? To those who ask. What are you asking for, young people? You're asking for a new car? You're asking for that beautiful girl to come into your life? You're asking for some, some more money? You're asking for more internet space? I don't know what. What are you asking for? I'm not, I'm not here to derogatize you. What I am here to say is, what are you asking for when you get on your knees and pray? Because I know there's something that God does want to give. He wants you to be filled with His Spirit. And I know that there are young people, I know they're frustrated about church, I know they're dissatisfied with how things are, and you kind of walk away sometimes, like in my experience, when you drive home going, man, there is something more than this. Have you ever had that experience when you drive home from church and you realize there is something more to this church experience? Have you ever had that experience? I know I have. My prayer is that Jesus would fill each of us with the Holy Spirit. What are you asking for, church? What is it that, that you get on your knees and you pray for? You say, you know what, God? You know, like Esau, when, well, sorry, it wasn't Esau, it was... Um, Jacob, when he was praying, you know, and, and the, whole, uh, the whole interaction there when he was wrestling with that angel, which was Christ, what did he say, guys? What, who knows that story? He said, I will not go until you what? Until you bless me. He was saying, I'm not letting you go. If I have to be here all day, if you have to break another hip, you have to break my legs, you break everything in me, I am not letting you go. What if our church became a church that said, Jesus, 
I'm going to get on my knees and I'm going to keep praying until I know that you have filled me with your spirit. I am not going to just sit here every Sabbath and pretend that I'm this good Christian, say the right things and wear the right things, but deep down my heart is empty. Jesus wants to fill our cup today. My big idea this morning is simply this. Worship, worship comes out of the overflow. Can I say that one more time? Worship comes out of the overflow. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean that for some of us, church is just something that not really connected with our daily individual experience. So we come to church on a Sabbath morning and expect to be fed and filled. Whereas worship is the overflow of your relationship with Christ. It spills out in what you say. Isn't that what the Bible says? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth what? Speaks. Whatever is in the heart will come out. And you know what? I, I had an epiphany. I, I hear people say that when I'm about to say something great, but to be honest, I'm not really sure what that means. But I had an epiphany. Let me say it once. <laughs> I had an epiphany. That when I was thinking about my experiences, you know how I'm always talking about how angry I get. You know, I was driving on the, on the road, and then this guy cut me off, and I got so upset. It actually dawned on me. It was all there. It was just waiting to come out. So then the next logical question that God was saying to me was, Will, maybe you weren't even filled with me in the first place. <laughs> because whatever was in there would just come out. And so it drastically changed. But I was humbled now. Now all my angry stories that I thought would get, make people laugh at, I'm actually a bit embarrassed by it now. <laughs> because in reality, if that person had done that thing to me, if Jesus was in my heart and, and I had been filled with him moment by moment every day, that thing shouldn't really upset me as it should. Do you get what I'm saying? And so worship, guys, comes out of the overflow of the heart. I want you to listen to what the inspired prophet Ellen White had to say in the book Steps to Christ, in the chapter Steps to Discipleship. And it was actually a, a bit of a paragraph, but I broke it down. And she asked three things. Here is the test of discipleship. If you ask Ellen White, how can you recognize a true Christian from a false one? How do you recognize a person who has the spirit whereas regards to someone who doesn't? She has three things. Number one, who has the heart? Who has your heart? For some of us, we're more interested in making our husbands happy, our partners happy, our wives happy more than God. So we will not come to church, we will not attend spiritual things because we don't want to step that person. So guess who has that person's heart? Your partner has your heart. For some of you, it's a young person, and you know that you want to serve God. You want to give God more than what you give, but because of your friends around you, you don't want to step out and be what God has called you to be. So guess who has your heart? Your friends. Who has your heart? This is what we're told in Bible and White. Who has your heart? Who has your deepest emotions and affections? Second thing she asks is this. With whom are our thoughts? Of whom do we love to converse? And I just wrote in brackets, talk about. 
You know those types of people when you just get next to them, they just seem to have, they just talk about this thing all the time? Who, what do you like to talk about? Young people, when you're on YouTube and you're just there, what is it that you're, that you're into? Who is it that has your attention, your thoughts? You love to talk about it. For me, it was basketball. And then a little later, it was about rap and hip-hop. You know, sometimes we go through phases of what fills our minds and our thoughts. But my question to you guys, young people and young at heart, who do you love to talk about? If God were to just tap your phone, so to speak, like he can already, but if he were to just listen for, or anybody, if we had an experiment and we just watched you for 24 hours and we just listened to what you talk about, what would they hear? Would there any be conversation about Jesus? Would there, would there be like a prayer in there somewhere? Who do you love to talk about? And here's, the, here's, the, here's where this is coming to. You talk about what you're passionate about. Am I right? You don't need to, to force it. It just comes out. This is what I'm talking about. Worship is out of the overflow. The third thing she says in this short chapter, who has our warmest affections and our best energies? And I think for us as Adventists, we're so busy, and I get that. We're busy at work. We're busy. We're stay-at-home mums. We're fathers. We've got a nine-to-five job. We come home, and we're busy all over again. Or for a young person, you just can't wait for school to finish because your real passion is this. And then you do this all on the weekends. You do this every night. You think about it. Maybe it's the Xbox for you. And for you, you can just lose yourself in three hours of Xbox. And, and you just didn't even think about it. Who has your warmest affections? Who has your best energies? Is it Jesus? Is it the things of God or is it not? She ends by saying this, if we are Christ, if we belong to Jesus, our thoughts are with him and our sweetest thoughts are of him. And you know what? I'll be the first to put up my hand. This challenged me. Because if you got to talk to me, yeah, we'll talk about church a bit, but we'll talk about real stuff, like boy stuff, you know, the state of origin, how the league was going, you know, how this is going. And sometimes on Sabbath, we're very quick. We just, we just talk about anything, but we're reminded here by our inspired prophet is the real test is who has your heart? My challenge to us today is ask yourself the question, who has your heart? Does Jesus have your heart? Is, is he filling your heart so much that it's overflowing in how you talk to people, what you share about, how you think about people? Worship comes out of the overflow of our heart. My challenge for us today as a church, think about your worship experience, not just what happens here, but what happens through the daily, normal round of life. Yes, you get up in the morning, you go to work, you fix lunch, you fix dinner, you wait for your husband to come home, you watch a bit of TV. Yeah, I understand what normal life is like, but what I am saying is, is Jesus part of that process? Is he part of that journey with you? 
You know and I know. You know those moments when you're walking with Jesus, haven't you? You know you wake up and you know you, you just get in the shower, you're singing praises to God and everything seems to be speaking about God. And then you know what it's like when you know that you're living in sin, you know that you're, you've got this issue and you haven't resolved it with God. And so you're kind of backing away from God, if I could put it that way. It's not a good feeling, is it? Yes? It's not a good feeling because something about us says, oh, that's not really right. I shouldn't. No, you know what? That is the Holy Spirit saying, Will, what are you doing, bro? Worship. Young people, if I could just speak to you. After all, this is a youth rally, right? I know that they're all simply here, but I know they're all scattered around. God needs young people to step up. If I could just put it bluntly like that, right? God needs young people. I go to church at Lismore, and I affectionately call the elderly there dinosaurs. And they all love me for it. They gave me a card and even a robot dinosaur a few weeks later. But you know what? There are some soldiers in that church. Joy Hall, Neville Leeson, you know, Myrtle Shelford. These are warriors getting old. Max. And I say to myself, when I'm sitting there on a Sabbath morning, I'm looking around, I'm going, we well, you got young people right there, Lismore. I'm not having a go at you. I'm not having a go at young people in general. We're so committed to the things of this world that by the time it comes to Sabbath, we don't have any energy for him because we've exerted it all out on the basketball field. We've exerted it all in the Xbox. We exerted it all on Facebook and YouTube. We stay up all night watching other people's posts and reading what people said about who, watching the latest viral YouTube clip. And, and by the time we get to church, we've just had enough. And so if church for us is just... And I know what that's like. And I know that you don't like that. I know that that's not what you want. So what I am saying is, let worship from this moment on be about the overflow of your life. How do you fill yourself up then, Will? Well, it comes to, it's not rocket science. If you're not reading your Bible every day, you can't be filled. I, I'm sorry, but that's just the end of the story. If you're not spending quality time reading what the Word of God says, you are not giving God the opportunity to fill your soul. Simple. If we're not praying... We can't be filled. So I guess part of my challenge here today is, what does your daily devotional life look like? What is it? And please, I'm not having go at anyone. I'm having go at myself. But if it's a kind of over here, and your cup is kind of like half empty, guess what? God wants to fill your cup today. Because he doesn't want you to go through this journey of Christianity where he's half-hearted, it is meaningless where you could actually be doing other things. You know, sometimes we have a go at the people out in the world who don't know God and we go, look at those poor sinners, look at them, look what they're doing with their lives. We really like to have a go at them. But you know what? At least they're going hard about it. You know, they're not trying to hide the fact. They're going hard. They're sinning hard. They're living life as best to their ability as they can. They're doing all for self. And guess what? Good on them because at least they're doing that. But as we as Christians who claim to follow the gospel, who claim to be preaching this everlasting gospel, why are we going hard? 
Why are we not going hard for Jesus? Where are the young people going to step up and say, I'm not waiting for Pastor Tim to tell me what to do. I'm going to get out there myself. I'm going to ring up this friend. I know he hasn't come to church for weeks. I'm going to ask him, bro, where have you been? Go and visit him. We don't need to wait for our pastors and our leaders to tell us what to do. Amen? We get up and do it ourselves. I wasn't waiting for my pastor at Concord to tell me, William, this is what you do. When you get baptized, you need to do this. You need to know. It was just a burning desire in my heart. I used to tell you, I used to go to my friends in Berlin where they used to hang out. Half of them are bikies now. And when I was sitting there, all of them, when they're talking to me, uh, uh, sorry, Will, you know, occasional cuss words come out and swearing at her. And for some reason, they'll turn around and say, oh, sorry, Will, we didn't mean to say that. Why are they saying that to me? I'm not telling them what they should do or how they should live their lives. But you know what? They realize something's changed with Will. They respect that. Now, if bikies can respect that, if people out in the world can respect that, why cannot we live up to that? Jesus is coming soon, guys. I said Jesus is coming soon, amen? And it's about time that we as a church stop debating about how we are to worship and concentrate on who it is we are worshiping. You know, I'm just going to close now. I've got this cool illustration. This is not mine. I saw Julian Archer share it with us at the start of the year. Some of you are there. I know Pastor Tim was there. Chuck, do you just mind just opening that bottle while I just share this cool illustration with you? I know, I'm sorry if you're at Blue Hills. You've seen this before. You know, talking about this idea of overflowing. You know, there's a chapter in the book of Psalms, Psalm 23. I actually don't have this on the screen from one to five. I've actually picked it up from five, but if, if it's okay, I just want to read the first few verses straight from the Bible, okay? And then I'll get back to the screen. Think about this idea of overflowing love. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Amen. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff they comfort me. Amen? Here's the part I want to get to. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My cup, David the psalmist says. Now, I've got to just pause and show you this awesome illustration. You know, Brendan might know a bit more than me about this, but we were told earlier this year that in the Hebrew culture, hospitality was a big thing, Right? And we were told in the Hebrew culture that when someone was sojourning and they stopped past your house and the sun was setting, you had an obligation to take that person in, right? And so the story goes in the Hebrew culture and the custom is that by obligation, you had to put these people up in your tent, in your home. But here's the cool thing. The next morning when you woke up, if you didn't like that person, 
or for some reason you just didn't feel like being a hospitable type of person, in the morning when you prepared a table for them, there was a glass. And depending on how much you filled that glass was dictated to what the outcome was. And so the idea went like this. If you filled the glass half full, it meant I'm only doing what I have to do. I've got other things to do, so when you're ready, may not like you, whatever the situation is, but as soon as the sun rises, please take your things and leave. (laughs) Pretty harsh if you woke up and you saw half a glass there, wouldn't you? (laughs) But then the story goes that if you woke up and the guest poured you a glass that went almost to the brim, it said that, you know what? You're welcome here. In fact, you need to stay here a couple of days, rejuvenate, water your camels, whatever you need to do. You can stay here a bit longer. When you're ready, when you're nice and ready, I'll feed you. Stay a few days. You can chat. We can talk about where you're going next. You don't need to go straight away. Here's the awesome thing. But when you read the Bible... When David read this psalm, understanding this custom, David said about his God, my cup, what does he say? Runs over. And what God was saying, what David was experiencing was simply this, that when his cup was running over, God was saying to him, you don't need to just stay here one night. You don't have to just stay a few nights. You can stay here forever. For as long as you like, you can stay here forever and forever and forever. And so David said, my cup runs over. He is so overwhelmed with the flow of God's love that God loved him so much that he would spend eternity with him. And so David ends this psalm by saying, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Amen. And he goes on to say, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, forever forever. David says, my cup was literally running over. God's goodness, his grace, his love for me is so amazing. My cup was flowing over because God's love was given to me. I want to end with this appeal. 2,000 years ago, God poured out his love on a hill called Calvary. 2,000 years ago, God gave his best gift in his son. He gave all of heaven. All of heaven was wrapped up in that one gift. He poured out heaven for you and for me. And so if you're ever tempted to question God's love, question where you are in your season, in your journey with God, I want you to know that God's love has overflowed in your life. And so David could say, my cup runs over. So the challenge that we can say today is, God, because your love for me has been overflowing, I want to give my life to you. I'm going to end with this appeal. Is there anyone here today who would like to say, Will, right now, this applies to young people, whoever you are here today. My experience right now, Will, is empty. 
I'm here today. I've been an Adventist for many years. I may have just been baptized a few years ago. I may be a young person here today. I may be a visitor somewhere in the back. But I know my life is empty. I don't read my Bible as much as I should. Sometimes I just get up and just go to work like nothing. I don't spend time with you. But I'm asking you today to fill my cup. Fill my cup. Fill me with your spirit. And like David, we could say, my cup runs over. If that's you, I'm inviting you just to stand where you are. You don't need to come forward. You just need to stand. You just stand right now where you are. You say to God, God, fill my cup. Would you like to stand with me today? Amen. Now to him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. If you have any questions or comments in relation to today's program, you can call 3ABN Australia Radio within Australia on 02 4973 3456 or from outside of Australia on country code 61 2 4973 3456. Our email address is radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. That is radio at the number 3 ABN Australia, all one word, .org.au. Our postal address is 3ABN Australia Inc, PO Box 752, Morissette, New South Wales 2264 Australia. Thank you for your prayers and financial support.
Time for Balanced Living with Vicki Griffin. The Vegetarian Edge. Americans are suffering from a great burden of disease that is rooted in lifestyle. Our collective health is off course. 70% of chronic diseases and ailments, including a third of all cancers, are said to be related to diet. There are seven deadly dietary shifts in intake that are major contributors to obesity, heart disease, diabetes, high blood pressure, and certain cancers. They are first, increased refined sugars. Second, high saturated fat, but low healthy fats, like omega-3s and monounsaturated fats. Third, high total fat and calories. Fourth, increased animal products. Fifth, high sodium, and low potassium. Sixth, low vitamins, minerals, and trace minerals. And seventh, low plant fiber. We're way off course in our eating habits, but charting a course toward better health is easier and tastier than you may think. So let's set sail for better health. The journey toward improved health, energy, mood, and weight may be as close as your garden or your local produce department. Major research groups recommend that we get most of our calories from vegetables, fruits, legumes, beans, nuts, and whole grains. 
A plant-based diet has many advantages. It provides color, variety, flavor, and balanced nutrition. It has fill-up value because of its high-fiber, low-calorie content, so it helps you achieve and maintain a healthy weight. It improves brain health and mood, lowers stress, and helps you live longer and better. It's pretty on your plate, satisfying to the palate, and good for the planet. Heart disease. Coloring up your plate may be the first and best step in preventing or reversing heart disease. Add more fresh fruits and vegetables. They provide a powerful mix of antioxidants that reduce inflammation and fight plaque buildup. Lowering saturated fats, like red meat, helps reduce cholesterol. Replace those saturated fats found in red meat and high-fat dairy products with plant fats like nuts, olives, avocados, flaxseed meal, and vegetable oils. This can reduce the risk of heart disease and heart attack by up to 50%. Vegetarians who do not eat meat have less heart disease than meat eaters. Diabetes. The Adventist Health Study 2 found that vegetarians have less incidence of diabetes than non-vegetarians. Vegetarians are less likely to be overweight, a major contributor to type 2 diabetes. A plant-based diet is high in fiber, which helps control blood sugar, another major factor in preventing diabetes. Many people who have type 2 diabetes are able to manage or even reverse their symptoms through diet, exercise, and weight loss. High blood pressure. The National Institute of Health created an eating plan to reduce high blood pressure. It's the DASH, or Dietary Approaches to Stop Hypertension Plan. It's a near-vegetarian diet that's low in animal fat, sodium, and cholesterol. It emphasizes high-potassium fruits, vegetables, beans, whole grains, and nuts. DASH studies showed that 77% of those who combined daily exercise with plant nutrition and less meat reduced high blood pressure to normal levels within six months. The Adventist Health Study has further shown that vegans, those who do not eat animal or dairy products, had the lowest blood pressure of any group. Cancer. Plant foods are linked to lower risk for certain cancers. Beans, lentils, peas, and fruit are protective against prostate cancer. Fruit, soy, lentils, beans, and peas lower pancreatic cancer risk. Dietary fiber and legumes protect against colon cancer, while animal-saturated fat increases the risk. Vegetarians have an 85% decreased risk of colon cancer compared with those who eat meat regularly. Well, let's get started. How to chart your course. First, use the plan of addition. Focus on adding more garden foods or foods from the produce department. Second, eat plenty of fruits and vegetables. Aim for at least five servings or two to three cups of fruit and five servings, two to three cups of vegetables a day. Enjoy fresh fruit choices at breakfast and as a replacement for rich desserts. Choose vegetable soups, beans, and vegetarian entrees instead of pizza, burgers, and steak. Third, choose whole grains. Enjoy brown rice, whole wheat bread, multi-grain pasta, and whole grain cereals, such as steel-cut oats. Look for cereals that have at least three grams of fiber or more per serving. Make sure at least half of your grain choices are whole grains. Fourth, increase beans and legumes. 
Beans and legumes are rich in fiber, minerals, antioxidants, and protein. Add garbanzo or other beans to soups, salads, and pasta dishes. Try hummus as a spread instead of butter. Fifth, enjoy nuts. One ounce or about a quarter cup of nuts or seeds almost every day can cut your risk of a heart attack significantly. Walnuts are rich in omega-3 fats, which lower inflammation and improve brain health. Sixth, try vegetarian entrees. Grocery stores and restaurants offer many vegetarian entrees, such as tofu and soy burgers, garden or black bean burgers, patties, burger crumbles, and sausage. Vegetarian cookbooks provide easy, delicious recipes for using grains, tofu, pasta, potatoes, and beans. And seventh, eat smart. A healthy diet is more than just eliminating meat and dairy or reducing sweets, soda pop, french fries, and processed foods. Get adequate calcium from dark leafy greens, beans, and calcium-fortified soy milk or calcium supplements. Vitamin B12 is essential to brain and nerve health. Get it from fortified cereals and vegetarian foods or a daily supplement. The Bible says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, a marvelous work of God. Psalm 139:14. By following the natural laws that promote health, we can reduce the risk of much sickness and disease and experience longer, happier, and more productive lives. Your body is made to be a temple or a sacred dwelling place for God's Holy Spirit. You are God's workmanship, His building, 1 Corinthians 3, 9. With a healthier mind and body, you will be able to hear God's voice better. You can start today to choose a more abundant life, one bite at a time. You've been listening to Balanced Living, presented by Vicki Griffin. We hope you enjoy the short presentation on the history of the Reformation from lineagejourney.com. In 1529, the second Diet of Spires convened right here. The first was in 1526, which gave each state full liberty in religious affairs. In 1529, all the German princes gathered here along with representatives of the church. The church's desire was to crush out the heresy of the Reformation, first by peaceable means, but using full force if needed. One thing that was proposed was a halt on conversions. The states that sided with the Reformation would stay that way, and the ones that did not would stay as they were. If this edict was to be enforced, then the Reformation could not be extended where it was not yet known. Neither could it be established on a solid foundation where it had started. The key issue at stake was liberty of conscience. As they met to discuss what they would do with this proposal, key issues for the world lay on the table. Did Rome have the right to coerce conscience and forbid free inquiry?
as they looked back at the recent history and saw the great sacrifice that many had made to get to this point. And they contrasted this with the major restriction on civil liberties that was proposed. The princes said, let us reject this decree. In matters of conscience, the majority has no power. They saw the state's role was to protect liberty of conscience and that this was also the limit of its role in religious matters. In their response, they used the word protest. And it's from here where we get the term Protestantism today. But it's important for us to understand the background of that term to know what a Protestant truly is. They said that the principles contained in this protest contained the essence of Protestantism. They opposed the abuse of man in two areas of faith. Firstly, the intrusion of the civil magistrate, and secondly, the arbitrary authority of the church. Instead of this, Protestantism puts the power of the conscience above the civil magistrate and the authority of God's word over the visible church. They rejected civil power in divine things, encouraging people, as in the book of Acts, to obey God rather than men. They understood that it was the role of the state to protect civil liberties and not to prescribe religious actions to the masses. In our day and age, there is a wide departure from this great Protestant principle, the Bible and the Bible only as the rule of faith and duty. There is a need for us to have the same unswerving adherence to the Word of God as was manifested at this crisis of the Reformation. Had these princes buckled under pressure and sought to enjoy the success they had achieved thus far in order to secure favor with the authorities, the movement would have been destroyed. They understood that there were greater issues at hand and believers around the world since that time have enjoyed the benefits of their resolute stand. While the name of Martin Luther is well known throughout the world and the name of these princes is much less known, their place in history is nonetheless vital. May we truly understand what it means to be a Protestant, the authority of God's word and the power of the conscience in religious matters. more episodes in this series on the Reformation, go to lineagejourney.com. This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.